0: Uh, Hello, welcome to another Rahalastapa book club. Uh, Today I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Crewe, who's talking about his fantastic new novel, The New Life. Hello, Tom. Hello, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'll say right at the top, because, you know, we we have to be open about these things. Tom, you are the partner of my brother-in-law.
2: That's true. Duncan. That's true. Yes, it's, um, it's finally paying off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it but I think it's probably if the nepotism is working here, it's going the other way because <laughs> you're you're a very hot new novelist. You're in the were you the, the the hottest new novelist in the Guardian, was that? You're a number one of, uh, of ten. Yes, or the, Obs-
2: the Observer. Yes. Yeah, the yes. Observer. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: so, so, um, so things are going very well with the new life, which is a, a fantastic, um, fantastic novel. Re- I really enjoyed it. Uh, so we're connected through that, also. Uh, your family uh, come from Middlesbrough as mine do uh, and we may talk about this more there are there is a kind of connection there as well but we'll talk about that later though I'm quite interested that both of our partners have decided to who are brother and sister have da- decided to date people who come from you know who at least come in some degree from Middlesbrough and whether that's some kind of kink within the Wilkins I family
1: I, I wouldn't want
2: to ask you too many certain <laughs> details but it's certainly a kink in my household yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a very you know it's a, it's a it's a it's a weird thing to want to be with someone from Middlesbrough but here we are uh, I don't count myself as spring from Middlesbrough but uh, my, my parents both are um we'll talk about that later so Tom for people who don't know you uh can you tell us a little bit about your who you are and and how you came to write a novel and what you were doing before you wrote a novel
2: um well I in my uh day job, I am an editor at the London Review of Books, where I have been for uh, not that far off 10 years. And before that, I did a PhD in late 19th century history, which had some bearing on my novel. Yeah. And But I have spent my whole life wanting to write a novel and, and write fiction. And I've kind of worked my way up to it, finally, after finding the time and working in the mornings and lunchtimes and weekends. <laughs> and the uh the novel is is finally here and it's a novel i had the idea for again about 10 years ago before i started work at the LRB. so it's been a long journey
0: and so tell us a little bit about the the novel and why do you thought this is it's it's based on history it's based on real people but uh, but it's slightly just, you've you've fictionalized things and and changed things that uh, A little bit, I think it's fair to say, but the the, the, the basis of it is is in in fact, right? So tell us a little bit about that.
2: So it's about, the novel's about um, two men uh, who both live in London in the 1890s. The novel starts in 1894 and they decide to write a book together and the book is going to be the first ever book in English about homosexuality where they will argue that um, homosexuality, being gay, is natural and harmless. Um, It's like colorblindness. It's just something you're born with. And that the law, which makes all sex between men in public and private a crime, is unjust. It's founded on false principles and it should be abolished and people should be free to live their life. So they're making this very bold revolutionary argument. Um, at the end of the Victorian era. They're both married men. One is a gay man who's been married for 30 years, has three adult children. That's John. And he's sort of coming to terms with his sexuality for the first time in mature life. And he's begun a kind of love affair with a younger man called Frank, a working class man. And Henry, the other man, he's also married, but he's married to a lesbian, which he's aware of. (laughs) He knows he's marrying a lesbian, though he doesn't quite realise everything that involves And his wife, Edith, who is a feminist and um, a socialist and a kind of progressive thinker, as Henry is, they think of themselves as having a very progressive, new kind of marriage. But Edith has fallen in love with another woman called Angelica. so And that's creating problems. So these two men, they're both in crowded marriages, three people in each marriage. They're writing this book. And just as they're about to publish this book in 1895, Oscar Wilde, Gets caught up in his trial, and <laughs> yeah. they have to—they uh, have to decide what to do next.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it's a—it's a very moving and uh, story, and it's very sad. You know, I mean, it just makes you. You know, the whole thing (laughs) thing just made me think how terrible it is for all these people. And it's not just about gay people, but uh, the the woman, the gay gay man has been forced to marry. It's about class. It's about uh, feminism and and women being treated unequally as well. And and working class people being treated badly as well. Uh, You know, but all these people having to live these lives, not being able to be who they really are, which obviously... It resonates a, a little. I mean, a hopefully things are, are better now, uh, mm. but some um, are not perfect. But equally, you know, we still have this idea of convention, and people have to uh, behave in a certain way. Uh, the book, the book I, I, we talked about last week, was um, about the Beatles and James Bond, and it's kind of interesting how much the the sixties changed how quickly how rapidly social change came in the 1960s that, that even before the, that, that even before the beatles um it, you know britain was still the uk particularly was still um very much kind of mired in that victorian <laughs> values but we haven't shed you know it's not been shed the the class um, stuff the feminism stuff and the and the kink stuff or you know or the un- unconventional lifestyle stuff or or the different way of viewing yourself stuff that being born feeling that you're different than other people uh is still here isn't it so it it does sort of resonate in a in a very sad way
2: yes, I think so, I hope so um I didn't write it thinking so much about the modern day resonances, but I think they are there, and I hope if the book has a long life, then it's because. It still speaks to those kind of human constants. Um, but as you say, some of the, you know, sadly, some of them are there. And I do think a lot of this stuff wasn't worked out till the sixties. I think you're right. I mean, the the fifties, the nineteen fifties, was the worst time to be gay in Britain in terms of arrests and sentences. Right. Um, and one of the things that the novel is trying to show that that it is not all doom and gloom. Um, no, there, there is. People did get by, Pe- gay people had to live their lives and they did meet people and um, have experiences of various kinds. So it's, a, it's yes, it's about showing a society which kind of corrupts individuals, doesn't let individuals be themselves. And actually that can turn good people into bad people, turn people against um, other people. So, you know, so John, the, the gay man here, you know, the book deals a lot with how he... Is married to this woman Catherine, who he ends up treating very badly. Can't help but treat badly um, in his bid to be a better version of himself. So it's so it is about a society which forces people into different shapes, the wrong shape, and pushes yeah. them in the wrong directions. Um, but I do want to try and show that people people lived, people had lives. Sure. They, they 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 got. They got through somehow.
0: Yeah. And, and I think there's an element where, I mean, because of the danger involved in any alternate lifestyle, then, that, uh, you know, it's a very sexual book. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sex in it, a lot of, uh, you know, very well described and uh, romantic and non romantic incidents that happen. <laughs> yes. But I get, you know, there's an element that there's a thrill to the the danger the danger that someone you know that Frank uh, in, in the first place could be just someone who's been sent to try and uh, trick John to get him arrested but but the, the book opens with um, a scene on a, a train where the two men are pressed together and and are strangers and can't see each other but but end up having uh, uh, quite raucous time but you know it's uh, it's uh, like i want to say to you tom you know i write about spunking up all the time that's all i write about and i'm not in the observer as being one of the best writers <laughs> and this book is full of a lot of descriptions of spunk flying everywhere it's better it's better than i can put it yeah no, it's no. more imaginative than it's spunk flying everywhere but it's uh but it's basically a lot of that so it you know there is a sort of thrill to it so it's you know it's quite in a, in a sense, that forbidden nature of it and that danger heightens all of these emotions to a kind of terrifying but sort of exciting degree as well. That's part of it, right?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's it's amazing how, you know, as you say, you know, a lifelong interest in Spunk has been translated into an <laughs> exciting new career uh, or a different kind of career. And,. Um, <laughs> So that's very gratifying, obviously. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, I didn't. I, I've been amazed, really, at how um, I'm very pleased that people like the sex scenes. Lots of people do like the sex scenes and think they've been done well. But it's also amazing how many people on Goodreads or Amazon, you know, are throwing the book out the window because they just can't bear the sex. You know, it's too much. They're so they're so <laughs> mortified and and prudish, I think. Um, which is very interesting when you the books are set in the 1890s and it's yeah. about people trying to overcome prudishness and priggishness and, and here we are 120 years later, the same thing is happening. Um, but for me, the sex scenes are, you know, it's not just titillation. As you say, partly it's about trying to show pleasure being grasped in, in dark places, in secret places and what that feels like. But it's also a book about uh in a in a kind of more intellectual sense i suppose it's it 's about sex and how sex makes people feel and and what it means to to embrace a sexual life um when maybe the society is telling you you shouldn 't and um so the character of John begins this affair with with frank as you say and he's he is he 's having an intellectual awakening he 's decided he wants to kind of adopt a a gay rights position, what we would now call a gay rights position. But if the book was just about that, it would be rather dry. Um, And actually what gives that mission, its, it's kind of momentum and personal drama is the fact that he's also having a sexual awakening at the same time as an intellectual awakening. And if he didn't have that physical side to things, you wouldn't feel, you know, the intellectual arguments would just be a little bit thin, I think. And Henry on the other side, um, he does have a sex scene, but actually it's a failed sex scene he has yes. he fails to have sex with his wife. It's a kind of you know cringe inducing moment um which was just as interesting to write actually um and written maybe in a similar way because I do think you can write sex in i think it probably has to be about stages and motions and movements. And that can work in reverse, it can go really well or it can work, go really badly in each movement, each gesture, each touch here, touch there can go badly wrong, yeah. as it does for Henry. So he's struggling to actually find a sexuality and, and we started talking about kinks and he does have a kink. Um, and he, in a way, finds it harder to talk about his kink, which is to to see women urinate. Um, he finds it harder to talk about that than some of the gay characters find it to talk about their sexuality in the 1890s Mm. and I do think actually now I mean you know I think it raises more giggles and more embarrassment now to talk about urophilia or urolania and the various words for it or piss fetish (laughs) Um, and uh, I think we find it harder to talk about that now than we do to talk about gay people and what they get up to and that's very interesting too so this is a man in the 1890s trying to find a way to talk about that aspect of his sexuality
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think the fact that, you know, there was so much riding on, you know, there was so much punishment potentially for these acts that the fact that people still found a way to make them happen or st- and still want to do them it sort of shows very clearly that this isn't something that it's not it's not like oh I'm I'm going to choose to be this way because uh you know it's this is the it, just for the fun of it it's, it's something that's innate it's something that you can't stop through a law and yes. that it's then it's kind of yeah. I mean, obviously, with Oscar Wilde, it's the the tragedy of Oscar Wilde is well known, and I love the way in the book that you know that's ver- it's not an afterthought. It's sort of looming over the whole book. If you know that know what's coming, but equally, once once that trial happens, obviously it affects. This book that the the, the men are, uh, are compiling because are they going to get prosecuted? Are they going to get to prison? Will they, you know, will they be shunned by society? Uh, but all of the, you know, but it it sort of does make you think. I mean, and the, and it is about about this as well. But it's about being that first person to 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 risk your own personal safety and your own personal life and those and the people around you for the good of other people. So obviously these these guys. Are, are making a risking personal sacrifice, of, of, and the sacrifice for their families, embarrassment for their families. Uh, but they, you know, they they understand, or one of them particularly understands. I think that for the for the future, for the new life, for, if, it, if things are going to change, someone's going to have to do it. It's, it's. I guess we don't often think about about that personal cost uh, for those people who are brave enough to to be the ones to. Say this is wrong.
2: Mm. I mean, the, yeah, so the book's the the book is very engaged with 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 that problem. You know, how how do we achieve change in our society? And this is this is another thing, I suppose, that makes it relevant to now and and to to you know maybe a kind of gives it a universality um, that it is about how do we achieve change? Do we do we change society by changing ourselves? Do we change society by changing society in a big structural sense? And what does it mean to 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 bring change about how do we how do we do it and do we does it need someone to to do that to do that big brave thing and put their head above the parapet as you say and and admit something I mean there's a quote in the book by George Bernard Shaw said in the 1890s the the problem is it's not actually that people you know educated thoughtful people don't at home know some gay people and talk about the gay people they know and say oh you know yes we're very we're very relaxed about this and that's fine that's not the problem it's actually what people are prepared to say in public yeah. and he says none of these men who you know talk very composedly about gay people at home Dare to to say in public that they think it should be legal because otherwise people might think that they're gay and yeah and that and that's just too much to bear. It's too terrible a prospect. So the book is very interested in that question. What what if someone and lots of the gay people in the book are asking themselves this question. What if I was brave enough? What if someone is brave enough to get up and say, look at me, look at my life. Are you going to really tell me that? You know this harmless life is so toxic and dangerous and 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 terrible, and you want to put me in prison? What what for 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 loving someone and you know and and feeling love in the same way that you feel love, the same love I see in books and and plays? You're you're telling me my version is is a crime? So they're asking themselves that all the time, and this is where the the wild trial comes in because my characters actually have a very negative view of Oscar Wilde. They they are very upset with him. Um, we now we've re- rehabilitated him as the ultimate gay martyr, but he was very stupid. He got himself into this trial. Um, it was his own fault. He sued. He sued his boyfriend's father, uh, the Marquis of Queensbury, who said that Wilde was gay, and Wilde sued him and said, "I'm not gay. That's a lie. I'm going to I'm going to take you to court." when he knew perfectly well that it was true. So he got himself into this case. And then, of course, as part of the libel trial, Queensbury's lawyers found all these boys Wilde had been having sex with and brought the evidence forward and said, look, he's not lying, because look at look at this. And so Wilde really got himself into the mess in the first place and then got up in court and said, I'm not gay, denied everything, so, said the boys were lying, so said that these working-class young men were lying, telling lies. The whole thing was a figment um, and kind of under pressure. He then went a bit further and said, oh, actually, yes, maybe I was hanging out with young men, but actually it was very pure. It was completely, you know, it was the Greeks. It's like Plato. Uh, it's completely chaste and very elevating. And actually, you know, it's in the Bible. And and my characters sort of particularly the character of John resents this because he thinks, You haven't had the bravery to own up to it. You were stupid enough to get yourself into this situation. And then you haven't been brave enough to say that you actually are gay. And instead, when confronted with this evidence of you being just a bit of a perv or a dissolute kind of character, you've tried to dress it up as ideal and and magnificent and pure and chaste when it's none of those things at all. So they are unhappy with Wilde. As I think, you know, looking at the course of, gay history. I think we can wonder if Wilde hadn't got himself into all that trouble, um, would the course of gay rights have been different? Um, and that's a question that book is also interested in. Would, would one of these other figures say my character, John is based on uh, a real character, real figure called John Addington Simmons who did have these kinds of gay rights views. What if a man like that, um, lived to see the Oscar Wilde trial, because Simmons did not live to see it. And my book is a sort of exploration. What if someone who, unlike Wilde, is very self-conscious and articulate about being gay and wants to do something about it, what if that person sees Wilde get up in that court and deny everything and, and bring shame and tordiness on the cause that he holds so close to his heart?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's all really interesting. And, it is, and the court case, which I think uses a lot of the real questions, um... From the case and is is is, you know, a very interesting reading as well, and a very upsetting reading as well.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way
2: to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: It's interesting where you're taking real people and changing things. So, so the, a lot of the main characters are sort of based on real people um why why did you I mean obviously you've sort of partly explained it there so that you can see what would have happened if he'd been around to see that and he wasn't around to see that that trial but what uh, responsibility do you feel to the original people and um what what was the you know what what was the balance of truth and fiction for you and when you came to writing this because that's a that's a delicate thing to do I mean obviously none of these people are around to complain about it but it's but and you and you've changed the names a little bit um how much how much thought of did went into that and what was and how did you balance it
2: um well I mean so I was a historic you know I, I did a PhD in history so I was I was, I suppose, officially a historian, and I think there was a little bit of sort of kicking off, kicking my heels, and <laughs> uh, and just and just cutting loose from the facts and enjoying, um, feeling that reckless irresponsibility, and just for once I don't have to copy everything down properly and footnote, and and I've enjoyed that freedom to actually to kind of elaborate on history or or take history off its proper path into a kind of. Different space because I actually think it's a very in- interesting and useful way to think about history is through fiction, is to try and dramatise historical issues, and that might not mean you dramatise history as the late great Hilary Mantel wanted to, as a, as a as keeping as close to the facts as possible and filling in the gaps where there are gaps. That's what she believed was the right thing to do in fiction if you were writing fiction set in the past, but actually I think you can serve history just as well, um, explore the reality of history just as well by doing something different, by actually going against the the course of historical events, because it allows you to shine a light on different aspects of the same situation, uh, kind of almost run a sort of experiment. Um, what would have happened if might so and so have done X, um, and that's very helpful. You know, mm-hmm. you can do an experiment experiment with ex- an accepted set of realities and see what comes out of it, and it will tell you things about that given reality. And so, I, so I, so I think that's my sort of justification for departing from the facts. If I mm-hmm. wanted to give a justification, if I didn't want to say, "Oh, I just fancied um, <laughs> kicking up my heels." So I from the very beginning, I was, I was very comfortable with that decision because what had grasped my attention, what had really got me going and thinking about this novel was this idea that, or my discovery, that the 1890s was actually a very optimistic time for people, gay people, thinking about what we would now call gay rights, that people across Europe were considering whether homosexuality was really a crime or a sin uh, or a medical problem or whether it was just um, something natural and human. And there was was an optimism about whether the law in Britain could be changed. Homosexuality had been legalised in Italy in 1889, a few years before my book starts. It was already legal in France and various other European countries. So it wasn't completely crazy thinking that they could do this. And I was very interested in exploring that, discovering that because it's something we don't really know. I don't, I think. And the reason we don't know about it is because the Oscar Wilde trial came along (laughs) like a meteor. and Just hits, hits Britain and unleashes this terrible wave of homophobia, uh, public homophobia and creates a kind of gay stereotype, you know, Gay people spend the next 60 years or longer trying to get away from being thought to be like Oscar Wilde, theatrical, camp, exotic, funnily dressed, uh, you know, always making funny little camp jokes and sleeping with working class boys and, uh, and perhaps most of all, just being doomed, yeah. being tragic. I mean, Wilde is a doomed figure um, so I wanted to, this is a long answer to the question, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to to show to show that hinge moment. How do we go from optimism and excitement to disaster and homophobia? I wanted to, to kind of show the excitement and show the loss and bring that moment to life. And in order to do that, I actually had to uh, step away from the facts, but I think it was worthwhile. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then l- lashings of spunk
0: just to have the whole thing. <laughs> help the whole
2: thing go down easily beautifully
0: described funk um yeah how do you think the 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 real men and women would would feel i mean i do you think they would be happy that, that that modern society is finally a bit closer to what they were aiming for or do you think they would be uh, upset <laughs> i mean it's uh you know it's the it's the feeling especially with the the marriage the gay man married to the straight woman and the sort of weight, just it feels, and it's not a wasted life because it's not only part of a life, but and no life is wasted. But it just, what an awful <laughs> waste of time to force a gay man to marry a woman. Do you do you think they would would? I mean, do you think they'd be happy about this book? Do you think they would be happy about the way the world is now, or do you think they would feel fucking hell? You know, how did it take, uh, you know, a hundred mm. years, and we're still really not even there yet?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they would. Um I think they so my John character is based on Addington Simmons, as I've said, and, and my Henry character is based on a guy called Havelock Ellis, who became very, very famous in the um twentieth century as a sort of pioneer sexologist. He wrote these books called the um I'm actually gonna forget what they're called, the Studies in the Psychology of Sex. Um and these were the books that kind of people took down from the library shelves You know, as kind of dirty books to to learn something about, and that people were still doing that in the fifties. So he did end up having this um, very long life. He didn't die until nineteen thirty nine. Right, Ellis is, and he so he saw a lot of change. He saw those debates about contraception and and women's rights, but he still didn't live long enough to see homosexuality legalized in Britain, and it wasn't legalized until nineteen sixty seven. And I think this is always amazing because we we in our kind of Uh, English people in an Anglo-centric way, or we we fixate on 1967, which was only when homosexuality was legalised in England and in Wales. But it was not astonishingly legalised in Scotland until 1980, Northern Ireland until 1982, I believe, and Ireland until 1993. So these are incredible facts. So it's a long, long journey. So I think based on what I've said about that optimism in the 1890s, I think they would have been pretty horrified uh, that it took so long. Certainly in 1894, certainly before Oscar Wilde is arrested, I think they would have been really quite horrified at how long it took, particularly because the arguments that prevailed in the 1960s and 1967 were not as bold as the ones that my characters are making in the 1890s. You know, there was such a, in 1967, uh, in England and Wales, there was such a fixation on allowing gay men to have sex in private, in clo- behind closed doors. Um, and it was very much about, you know, let people do what they want to do uh, in the secrecy of their own homes. It was a less radical argument about kind of human dignity and uh, human individuality. Um, it wasn't about a kind of public identity for gay people, letting them into the public sphere as legitimate. Um, Citizens, and so so I think it was a kind of conservative victory, and it did mean because of this emphasis on privacy, it actually meant in the eighties where we have another wave of homophobia to do with AIDS and um, so on. In the eighties, some zealous police officers were arresting men for holding hands on the street in Britain, arresting them for holding hands because it was seen as kind of compromising this. Uh, almost vague aspect of the law about what you could do in private and what you could do in public. Yeah. So um, I do think they would be rather distressed by that. I think they'd be distressed by all sorts of things um, to do with capitalism and, and how the great divide still between the rich and poor and because um, that's something else they're thinking about. And I think the women characters would probably still be a bit disappointed while being very impressed with the progress made. <laughs> I think they'd be disappointed at the progress that still is yet to be made um and yes i think yeah well i good. think
0: that's you know, but i think that's what part of the book um is that class thing and again uh, uh, the beatles book is all about class but it does strike you when you really think about it how we're still like beholden to that Divide, you know, that we're the the Eton politicians, even despite everything they've done in the last ten years, are still sort of seen as being fit to rule, and 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 the people pay, pay deference to them, and working class people vote for them, uh, and 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 yeah, and and there's still this these sort of class divides, which you know it, are are ridiculous, and and just we we sort of accept them, but it's all about conformity isn't it and 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 worrying about change and sort of bedding down in the past in the hope that things will continue to be the same and yeah. and that fear of being the one to i mean i suppose with with social media and everything you sort of do get a real feeling of uh, of if you express a belief e on, on either side really that uh, uh, that is controversial you do get a little bit of that kind of uh, attack that maybe would have been more prevalent in the past than when when now it's sort of a hidden thing but it's clearly still there there's clearly still homophobia but there's classism and there's uh, transphobia and 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 all kinds of things that that people have to deal with so it is uh, it, you know it, it did just As I say, it's a lovely book and it's beautifully written. (laughs) It just made me quite sad about the human condition, and especially, especially when it comes to things about it is just about people living their lives. It's not even they're not. I mean, they're big issues, but they're not big issues. They're tiny issues of love and uh, and you know and just how you how you live and what you do, Um, and for them to be blown up into into being so important and have to be hidden away, it just it does. Uh, and, and, and as a straight person, I think, again, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not as up on that history. Uh, so this book is a is a fantastic way to go. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is you know, I knew about the Oscar Wilde trial. But I think this even though Oscar Wilde isn't a major character in this book, it really brings that home. And everything you've said in this interview as well brings that home. But, yeah, that that attitude and, uh, you know, just the basic it's it's just when it's basically stated it is sort of so ridiculous that anyone is policing the way anybody consensually loves another adult mm-hmm. it is you know it what a you know it just feels what a fucking waste of of time for everyone involved and 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 you know and 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 the effects of it and i think you know i'm very i'm very, you know the the wife character catherine isn't it is you know, I feel so sad. For her. She's not. She's not a particularly likable character, but she's been. But she's sort of been beaten down by this, by 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 help, sort of helping this guy and knowing what she was getting into, but being left feeling like. Um, I mean, there's stuff about her, to throw, to throw him throwing her waist into. Her. I mean, all the stuff about their kind of love, the lovelessness of their their union is. Um, I mean, there's stuff comparing into mounting horses and. <laughs> I mean yeah. it's, so, it's so tragic and horrible but I feel very sorry for that character as, as I'm sure I'm intended to and what is what is, is lovely about this is the characters are so well drawn and you do, you know, you feel their emotions and you are uh, sympathetic to, to all of them really
2: Yeah, I think Kath, Catherine's a very important yeah. figure in the book because even though she is by our standards a homophobe or, you know, she's... Um, she's not thrilled about her husband being gay. And it, it was very important actually to, to, to make readers feel uncomfortable with, um, with that situation to, to not just readily take John's side, to not immediately feel that kind of natural 21st century sympathy for a gay man trapped in the closet in the 1890s, but to actually see that his behavior, um, impact so terribly on 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 his wife and and in a way that's it's very important to give her perspective and her side of events because as a novelist you want to you want to do that you want to have your complex characters but she allows us to see that that bigger issue that that it's it's not really about individuals it's about the society a society which um which doesn't allow either person to be free. And what's, what's, I suppose, quite, I suppose, if there is a tragic kind of properly kind of Greek style tragic element in the, in the book, it's, it's that John has this, you know, flaw this, he's a gay man and he knows that, um, he shouldn't have married Catherine. He shouldn't be in this relationship. Um, but, he and he and he knows that's why the law should change, why society should change, because men and women shouldn't be forced to be married if one of them doesn't fancy the other. And, um, but in order to make that case, in order to change society and in order to change the law, he has to push out in a direction, push himself into the public in a way which hurts his wife and yeah. family. So it's a kind of um, indissoluble um, problem. Which, yes. which then just so then you you ultimately push the blame out on the society, but you show how the society warps these people's lives, um, and that's why it's important all the way through the book to that it ties in. I think the women characters are just as important as the male characters, and the women characters allow us to think about women's rights and the position yeah. of women in in direct relationship to. Um, the problem of homosexuality and how that affects um, people. It's, it's, it's about, um, yeah, prejudice, structural prejudice, difficulty coming past roles that have been um, kind of pressed onto you from birth. Um, So, so yes, I hope it's a book about men and women and society and not just, not just about spunky, spunky (laughs) gay.
0: You know, it's good to it's good to put some spunky gays in. I think they should be in everything. Uh, uh, You know, a lot of I want to say uh, my main take from the whole book: a lot of things were definitely worse in the nineteenth century, but uh, the quality of the postal system was second to none back then. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great time. It was a great time. You could write a letter and get it sent like. the same day, like two hours later.
2: Yeah, they, I think in London it's something incredible. Like they were doing. Well, I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get this right. <laughs> Let's not I'm going to get this right. But they, but it's something that at least. I think maybe six deliveries a day. So yes, right. you could write. You could write a letter at breakfast, and it would get to uh, someone. You know, by eleven a.m. They could write back to you. You could get that after lunch. <laughs> you could write another one back to them. They could write another one back to you. So you could have. Um, Rolling communicate, you know, like texting all through the day, and it's yeah. just—it is incredible. And to think that we've actually—I think this all the time about the the past—that <laughs> um, we we are very, um, you know, there's a there's a good phrase, um, the condescension, the condescension of posterity. And I do think we look down on the past, and we we assume that they everything they had was worse, or that they didn't have the things we had. And it's often the case. That they actually just had different versions of the things we had um, we have now slightly less convenient, but they they still filled the need it wasn 't like they were all you know chewing on rocks <laughs> they were they were living they were living uh, you know very sophisticated and interesting lives, and sometimes we've gone backwards and yeah. I do think um, talking about that rich, poor thing, I do think in the nineteenth century, more people were thinking. More intelligently and humanely about capitalism and its effects, and how societies are built and constructed, and whether they are fair or not. I think there was better thinking going on then uh, than there is now, and yet we have this prejudice of the Victorians being very, you know, uncaring, and um, and uh, you know, factory owners and, and children getting mauled in machines. But you know, and that yes, that was going on, but people. It's Actually, happening now too, and actually, yeah. I think we're probably more ignorant and less reflective about that now. So, um, I don't know what you said to set me off on this now. <laughs> it was all about like, the post, it was about like the post. at the dinner table at Christmas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and there's a suggestion in, in the book, have I got this right? That uh, gay men uh, are unable to whistle. That was, is, is that, is that, <laughs> is that I like, have I remembered that correctly? That's, I mean, I think it's yes. not uh doesn't hold up necessarily or or you know uh, can, well, you, no, can you prove I mean, if otherwise you were,
2: if you were to ask me to whistle now <laughs> we would confirm uh yes <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was talking to the uh, the novelist the great irish novelist column to uh, the other day and this came up and we both he, he's gay as well and we both admitted we couldn't whistle so <laughs> right I that pretty much proves it and he also suggested that gay men can't run, which I'm prepared to endorse. Okay. Um, there, were lots of, there were lots of very strange Victorian theories about homosexuality, which there was, the, there was not being able to whistle, there was having short fingers, there was having wide... I know, it's me. I've, <laughs>
0: yeah. I've got very short fingers. Yeah, well, oh.
2: we've got an eye on you. Um, <laughs>
0: uh, why... I'm safe, I'm safe.
2: <laughs> oh, I can't whistle very well, though. Oh, no. It's a two out of three thing. And um, <laughs> wide, wide hips were one of them. And there was all sorts of very strange theories about the rectum and where, where pleasurable sensations had been sort of misdirected from the penis to the rectum. And So, um, so there was a lot of that. I didn't want to go – if I'd put too much of that into the book, I think it would have become a sort of caricature version of itself. But there was, some, there was lots of uh, very um, curious – thinking yeah Um, but it was part of it but it was part of an intellectual moment you know people at least were thinking about it they weren't just hanging people (laughs) so that's some progress
0: it is that's very interesting to say look the the book is really fascinating i want to talk uh i listened to it as an audio book which i would recommend it's uh, with a novel it's not often not always the best way to enjoy a novel because it can be and this is quite a complex novel and it's i think an audio book is I, i was surprised the audio book uh held my attention as well as it does because there's lots to think about, but also there's there's a lot of characters. Um so you you didn't choose to do the audiobook yourself, but I think you've you maybe chosen well in that regard and no, only yes. because the reader is so good.
2: Yes, it's read by um Freddie Fox, who is a very good actor indeed, and so it so it's really a performance of the book, which I don't listen to audiobooks, so I was very impressed actually by the sense that I was and quite moved really, when these voices have been in your head all that time, to sort of feel the book um, come alive! I think he does a great because the book has lots of kind of big dramatic conversations, and he does a great job at sort of bringing those to life. I think.
0: I think he does. You have, you have, you have in the audio There's also a talk between the two of you about really about the audiobook, I thought he might ask you some questions about being yeah. the author of it, but it was mainly Imagine, you asking him I, about. <laughs> Imagine how I
2: felt when I was told I would be the interviewer. And he would be. He would be the star.
0: But um, I thinking you know he he hadn't done an audio book before, and I think. Just worked way, I mean, way too hard on it for what I imagine the money was, uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so he'd uh, he'd put in a lot of thought about each character and uh, and and put, used different colors uh, <laughs> through the book of Mark events, so he knew which character was which. But he'd really, uh, it is it is incredible because uh, you know it's it's a serious subject and it's a subject that's going to make you think a lot. And yeah, the the emotion comes across, and I think it, not all audio books are uh i mean not all I, mean, I, I tend to listen to a lot of factual books on audio but which is a is a is a very good way i think to to get those especially with the author reading them but this one it, it does feel like in places it feels like a, a radio play as much as a, a novel and, um, I, I, and that is a as a, a compliment to say um so well done and i would i would recommend the the audio as i nearly always do i Nearly always recommend the audio book, but uh, it is very good for this one. Um, so, look, I also want to. I, I was at the book launch for this book, so that's the first time that's happened. Um, and um, didn't I met you. you turned no, up. I was invited. I just came in. <laughs> you can get into these places. It's fine. Uh, there no was no one stopping that's you. We met. There was free wine and everything. Unfortunately, I'm not drinking, but I would have had it otherwise. Um, uh, and I met your your family who are from Middlesbrough. I met your your mum and dad, and I also met your aunties, who I have to mm. say, if you hadn't told me they were from Middlesbrough, if you put them in front of me, they looked like three. If they just were basically what I imagined Middlesbrough women to look like, all well, the three the three different kinds.
2: Especially when my, my auntie Jan she came up to get my to get her book signed. Her entire shirt was open from neck to waist. <laughs> out, belly out. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary <laughs> scene. So well, she was really representing, actually.
0: She was good. But well, I was delightful to meet them. And we had a chat for a while. And I think you'd mentioned this, but I'd forgotten. Uh, and uh, we were talking about where in Middlesbrough my grandparents lived and all that sort of stuff. And I said, oh, my, my granddad was a headmaster in Middlesbrough. And she said, not Mr. Herring. Uh, <laughs> so, I said, yes. And she, this is your Auntie Jan, I believe. Uh, and she said, oh, he was horrible,
1: <laughs> and it
0: said I couldn't. That was a sort of weird historical disconnect because your aunties are not like ancient, ancient; they're, they're middle-aged no, yeah. ladies, and it just feels to leave my, me like my granddad was a headmaster, like in the forties or fifties. But he must have stretched; it must have stretched into the sixties. I'm guessing. And yeah. he was a headmaster of a primary school, so they would have been they would have been young. A, I was surprised; I couldn't quite get over the disconnect that there was that connection but b i just enjoyed so much that there wasn't even a question of going oh this is his grandson i'll i won't (laughs) i won't say how scared of him i was (laughs) no it was very
2: triggering for them actually yeah they told me afterwards you know (laughs) i had to go and have a lie down um it's like hamlet seeing his father's ghost seeing you on the (laughs) in the uh, bookshop (laughs) terrible terrible scene uh, yes, no, they didn't hold back. They really, they really thought he was a loathsome man and actually ruined their childhoods. So.
0: Well, I went on Facebook. I just want to defend Jeffrey Herring. He's, you know, he's an historical character. I haven't made hmm. him up like you have with your ones. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I went wait, on the. Wait till
2: the, the second novel.
0: <laughs> I searched for uh, the school, Green Lane School, and uh, the only one comment on Facebook was what a brilliant headmaster he was. And what a terrifying headmaster the next headmaster was. Yeah. So maybe you, your, your aunt has got him mixed up with another headmaster. Mm-hmm. He was quite, he was a very old fashioned man. You see that he's in, and I think that's interesting because my, my parents married in 1959, um, as a 22 or 23 year olds. And, uh, you know, then the sixties changed everything, but my granddad always felt very, that granddad always felt very much like a product of, the Edwardian age. <laughs> it was quite... And I, yeah. I I find it hard to imagine him being the headmaster of a primary school. He didn't. He was He was great when I was a bit older, but he wasn't very uh, good with young kids.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, was, yeah. Someone who likes administering
0: corporal punishment as much as he did. <laughs> to let him loose in a primary school was... Uh, well there we've learned something about it, but it's you know we may be we may be related somewhere along the line you know, there's every chance that we're related somewhere it's kind of it is sort of weird that uh, middle which should make,
2: make both sense. our
0: relationships oh, probably illegal <laughs> 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 so it's a, it's odd the way these things interlink and, and come back uh, but um, look uh, and I, uh, by the way I love I, I think we should get back to calling people uh, sexual inverts as well which is a, the phrase that comes up a lot in this book it's a bit of the Victorian I description. Um, if, you
2: can't, if you can't whistle, you're an invert. <laughs> I think
0: it's so less, you know, pervert feels like a quite aggressive word. An invert just feels like you're an invert. It's, you're come, on, come on in, you're an invert. It's fine, you're welcome. Yeah. You're, <laughs> I, like, I like come on invert. That would be the, the title of the musical of this book. <laughs> and so oh, look, I wanted to talk to you before we go, I wanted, because this, you had a, incredible bidding war. This is your first novel and, and it was people going crazy for it. And before it was even put, you know, so you had publishers bidding for this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how did, how did that feel? I mean, obviously not many people get their first novels even published. So how did that come about? How, and how, you know, does, it, does that feel like a responsibility when before you've even had a book published that people are sort of clamoring over you in, in that way?
2: Well, it was very stressful. I mean, as as I say, the book has been a long time in the making, and you spend a lot of time, obviously, on your own. And at various points, it's so. I'm experiencing this now with trying to write my next novel. You just, I just hate it. I just wish I was promoting (laughs) books all the time and not writing them because it's so unpleasant. It's so difficult and stressful, and you've. It's. It makes me quite sad, really. So you have all that, and then you finally, I finally got this bloody thing done, and it was amazing. Really, my agent sent it to publishers on a Friday evening, and on a mon- on Monday morning, I was uh, my boyfriend Duncan and I, your brother in law, we were driving <laughs> from London to uh, the northeast, and we hadn't we hadn't even turned out of the road, we hadn't turned out of the road when. I got the first email saying a publisher was interested. You know, had read it over the weekend, loved it, was interested. And by the time we completed this five or five or so hour drive to the northeast, there were four publishers interested. I had a series of meetings um, scheduled, and my agent had rang me up and said, "Okay, have you got an idea for a second book? Could we get a quick paragraph down uh, by the end of the day?" So, so it was a, it was kind of completely, you know, nought sixty. And that was in the UK. And then it started, the whole thing started again in America. And it was just, you know, I hadn't even been to America at that point. So it was a very strange experience, feeling like I was encountering an alien civilization. And, <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, you know,
0: I can understand why it is, you know, it is, it does, it immediately, I mean, it, I was going to say it immediately grabs you, but that sort of is what happens in the, in the beginning. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but it does, you know, but it, it, I can understand that. But it is sort of an extraordinary you know it's the dream isn't it it's, the, it's what every author would dream of i've written a book and here we go uh, is it and i i imagine this is, would make a a great film or tv series as well is that is that in the running yet or is that well as part of the rights i
2: mean if you're interested just <laughs> say,
0: just say the word uh
2: i think it would make a great film no one has yet come forward to um, to say so in direct terms but mm-hmm. I, I i would i think it would i can see it i can okay. see it well, um, I'm
0: always cast as, as inverts, I'm going to call them now. That makes me feel better about it. So I can be the bloke wanking into some piss under a tree. I can do that.
2: That's my best scene
1: you've
0: just Is there... Um, is there... <laughs> that's basically it. No, you don't need to read the book now. I'll give it the it. Um, That's actually the final chapter. <laughs> just... Um I always ask if there's any books you're reading or have read recently that you would like to recommend. And this is, you're very, you're a very high brand. This isn't like, uh, you know, a toilet book. I usually have QI book of facts. (laughs) This isn't fesshole. I'm expecting some very high quality recommendations of of other books. Do you have any books that you're reading that you would recommend? Um,
2: Well, what I think over, over Christmas and the first weeks of the new year, I was reading um, HG Wells's sort of early um realist novels. So kind of not the the sci-fi novel, the great sci-fi novels, The Time Machine and um, World War of the Worlds. But actually these novels he he wrote about ordinary life um in London uh in this kind of first decade of the 20th century. So Love and Mr. Lewisham, uh Mr. Polly, um Tono Bungay. And actually they are very, very funny books. Mr. Polly Mr. Polly, especially, is a kind of laugh-out-loud gold star banger. Okay, and I so the history of Mr. Polly by H.G. Wells is very, very funny book, um, full of slapstick and some very kind of Dickensian uh, humor. There's a very funny wedding. There's some badly behaved relatives. It's a great, it's a great book actually, and I and I, and I think it was very, very, very famous, and it seems to have lost it's renowned. So I would yeah. recommend, I would recommend that. To
0: okay. We'll try and get HG Wells on a future episode of this. We'll see how that goes. Yeah,
2: uh, and you're yeah. you're very
0: good. You buy lovely books for me at Christmas. You in fact bought uh, the ruin of all the witches, which we had uh, Malcolm on as a, and Malcolm also, I got to meet at your book lunch for the first time properly, having talked to him on this. Yes. So that was nice. And uh, yes. so thank you. Thank you for that. That was a, a gift in itself. And thank you for uh, coming on. I'll see you uh, next time you're around at Pat and Chris's.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. See you soon.
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Do go and uh, read uh, the new life by Tom Crew. Not sure who our guest next week will be, uh, but it'll be someone amazing. They probably yeah. won't have probably won't have got a book deal as good as Tom got, but we'll see. <laughs> might be Pat and Chris. <laughs> it might be Pat and Chris. Yeah. <laughs> might have my uh, my my daughter. My daughter's written some stories. I'll get her on. She'll be fine.
1: eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quins.